Hello, and welcome to JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. My name is Patrick Locke from the Global FX Strategy Team. I'm joined here today by Phoebe White, Senior U.S. Rate Strategist and Head of our U.S. Inflation Strategy. Phoebe, thanks so much for joining. Let's get right into it. It's been another volatile week for macro markets. Two-year yields in your space, for example, have traded you know, in another stunning 50 basis point range this week. And the broad dollar has also both weakened materially and rallied substantially at different points of the week as well. Uh, main event this week was the Fed, but obviously you know, markets remain vigilant and hyper-focused on, on the banking sector right now, which had material developments bookending both sides of the week. But let's start with the Fed, and Phoebe, I'll turn it over to you. Um, what did we learn from, from your side from the Fed this week? So the Fed did deliver the dovish 25 basis point hike that we expected. In the statement, um, the forward guidance dropped the reference to ongoing increases, and instead that phrase was replaced with a less hawkish one saying some additional policy firming may be appropriate. So certainly less committal. And then in the press conference, Powell emphasized the words some and may, really indicating that there is a high degree of uncertainty here around how much credit uh, conditions will tighten from here and what the effect on the macro economy will be. Uh, and given this elevated uncertainty, there's probably less focus on the dot plot, but the median 2023 dot was left unchanged at five and an eighth. And that is consistent with our own forecast. We are still calling for one more 25 basis point hike in May, followed by an extended pause. This is premised on our baseline forecast that we will see a contraction in lending, particularly among regional banks, and that will contribute to a, a gradual slowing in the economy. I guess that essentially assumes that you know that we we get through this current episode without a material increase in stress, right? Uh, there's been a lot of focus on you know bank liquidity positions and deposit outflows. Uh, you guys have done some research on that this week. Um, do you see anything in the way of kind of encouraging signs on that front? Right. So definitely a lot of focus on bank liquidity. You know, I think the ultimate cause of the SVB and signature bank collapses was the run on deposits. So the big question has been around the pace of outflows from other banks. Um, and in that front, we did get some reassuring signs this week. Uh, if you look at the Fed's H41, for example, it looks like bank borrowing from the Fed's liquidity facilities were basically unchanged on the week at 164 billion. So across the BTFP and uh, the discount window. Uh, and then on top of that, we can't observe uh, FHLB advanced borrowing directly, but if you look at the pace of FHLB issuance, that has come down quite a bit to 30 billion this week from 225 billion the prior week. Um, so some signs that bank borrowing has sort of stabilized and come down here. Uh, and then at the same time, we have continued to see a, a rapid pace of inflows into government money market funds. Um, so it's probably the case that we've continued to see bank deposit outflows, but you know, we can say the pace of outflows is probably slowing. And at the very least, um, you know, banks were better prepared and less in need of liquidity this week. Um, so, you know, our take on that is that some of the borrowing last week may have been proactive or pre precautionary in nature. Um, so, you know, now the question is, if we're able to get past the near term liquidity problem, we can focus more on sort of medium story here, which is, you know, almost certainly that there will be less credit provision from regional banks. Mike Faroli estimated in a note last week using rough numbers that this pullback could result in about a half to a full percentage point drag on real GDP growth over the course of a year. Um, and again, that was already incorporated into our forecast as a result of sharply tighter monetary policy. Um, so, you know, our forecast is still that, you know, we have this gradual slowing and we see the economy dip into a recession in the fourth quarter of this year. 
um, you know, if you kind of dig into it, the sector that's likely to feel sort of the, the contraction the hardest is commercial real estate, particularly in office loans. And, um, you know, that's a sector that our bank analysts wrote about this week. Um, certainly there could be some refi difficulties there. Um, but overall, kind of as a base case, we think capital levels in the system are strong. Um, we think this is a slow moving story. We don't see the Fed needing to cut in the coming months. But I think, you know, the real challenge in this environment is the sentiment channel, um, which can pretty quickly feed into the real economy and has the potential to, to really drive quick moves in markets, as we've seen over the last couple of sessions. So I guess to kind of summarize, you know, in the context of this banking stress, we have the Fed in the rear view now. Where does this leave us right now for Treasury yields and, uh, and inflation break evens? Where do you think those trade here? Well, as we're recording this, we're priced for about four basis points of tightening in May, um, so roughly 15% chance of a hike, and then followed by nearly 100 basis points of cuts over the balance of the year. Uh, we have two-year yields trading down to about 375. Um, so this has been a, a big move. Um, we think you know it, it's gotten here because markets got some clarity from the Fed that we're approaching the end of the cycle. Um, but also, I think the move has been exaggerated by the deterioration in, in market liquidity. Uh, if you look at market depth, which is our preferred measure, it's declined to the lowest level since March of 2020. So I think that is having sort of an exaggerated effect here on markets. Um, so, you know, just given levels where they are right now, the front end does look much too low versus our own Fed forecasts. Uh, intermediate yields also look somewhat too low versus fundamentals. So I think near term, there is room for yields to move higher here. But again, it's challenging to fade the move, just, you know, knowing that there's large downside risk stemming from the banking sector. Um, and then, you know, similarly looking at inflation markets, uh, the front end of the break-even curve also looks too low. Um, Five-year break-evens are trading just under 230 basis points. If you strip out near-term carry on a one-month forward basis, that's, you know, closer to about 220. Um, and then at the very front end, the fixings market is implying headline inflation falling to around 2.4%. Um, by June and, and really staying there. Um, meanwhile, you know, our own inflation forecast calls for headline CPI running at about 3.5% over a year ago uh, at the end of 2023. So there's a pretty big divergence there. You know, I do think that if we get past this banking system stress, break-evens should move wider, especially as we get closer to the next CPI report. But, you know, that release is still three weeks away. And in the meantime, I think break-evens really, you know, will trade with broader macro markets. Um, and kind of in that context, if you look at the recent performance of tips, break-evens appear fairly valued relative to the beta-adjusted moves in both commodity prices and, and credit spreads. So the risk-reward for entering long break-even positions is just not compelling at these valuations right now. But on that note, let me turn it back to you, Pat. Um, how do you think about the dollar and how it should trade here? I mean, in one sense, you know, much of the, the stress in the regional banking sector was sort of perceived to be a, a U.S.-centric problem. Um, meanwhile, you know, other central banks are really focused on, on their ongoing inflation fight, which, you know, should be bearish for the dollar. But the more that sort of fear of contagion and broader recession drives this flight to quality, shouldn't that be bullish? How are you thinking about those competing factors? Yeah, thanks, Phoebe. Uh, you're right. A lot of moving parts here. The dollar certainly has been on the back foot the last couple of weeks. Uh, in fact, the sell-off um, over the last two weeks with the DXY through the FOMC there's about two standard deviations below average um, when you look across the last 30 years. Uh, maybe some of that was the market labeling this a U.S. issue. Relatedly, it could have been or it could have reflected the pretty massive narrowing in, in U.S. rest of world yield spreads that we've had. Uh, but bigger picture, we've been pushing back against the idea that this should be a sustainably 
dollar negative environment. Uh, the basic premise is that, you know, the U.S. dollar has a negative gearing to credit spreads, uh, regardless of whether yields are actually rising or falling. And so this is not just an environment where you really want to be short dollars. Uh, yen or Swiss can outperform, yes, um, but it was harder to accept kind of a high beta appreciating against the dollar earlier in the week. Um, and I would note quick, too, that even if this was actually the pause from the Fed, and, you know, that's not the house call, but to your point, the markets are pricing and something to that effect, potentially. Uh, you know, historically, the dollar does fine over the next one year uh, following the last hike of a cycle, uh, whereas rates seem to rally more reliably. Um, so the Fed was not clearly in, you know, a straightforward sell signal for the dollar either. And so it's been a bit reassuring from our end that the dollar has done a little bit better to end the week as the banking stressor has kind of gone a little bit more global again. Uh, and generally, we we remain pretty constructive on the dollar's prospects here. Got it. Okay. And to the extent that recession risks and inflation persistence is really not kind of uniform across regions, um, and certainly, as you've pointed out, inflation trends are becoming more divergent. How do you see this as presenting trading opportunities across the G10? Thanks. Yeah, some interesting developments in the G10 space on inflation. Um, you know, generally, there were two defining features for G10 FX regarding inflation last year. One was just kind of the shared experience of, of higher prices on the back of supply chain issues, the commodity price shock. You know, th th that was kind of a shared phenomenon. But those were also clearly kind of growth negative. And so it was much more of a stagflationary overall environment um, across G10. And in that kind of environment, the dollar does very well, and it did. Uh, fast forward to this year, uh, that level of correlation and in inflation um, is ebbing across G10. Which makes sense, you know, since the focus right now is less about things like commodity prices and more about, you know, idiosyncrasies like services inflation, uh, the relative tightness in labor markets and things like that. And the growth backdrop is also different. Um, Europe and the UK have seen their growth prospects improve markedly with gas prices falling over the last three to six months. And so in that sense, it's a little bit more of a traditional relationship where moves in short end rates you know, have been well correlated with FX uh, so far year to date. There are a couple winners and losers, I think, in this environment, though. Um, first, you know, it looks like Canada is seeing some disinflationary progress uh, that'll put CPI back towards the BOC's target probably by mid-year. That's been constructive for trading, you know, CAD on the short side against rate-sensitive currencies like yen. Um, but on the other hand, you know, Sweden's six-month or three-month run rates of inflation are still running at almost 10% annualized, um, which is obviously discouraging given the extent of hiking that we've already had, um, you know, at this point in 2023. And on top of that, Sweden also has had one of the more severe downturns in housing. It's had the largest spike in unemployment rates within G10 by, you know, a substantial margin. Uh, so that again starts to smack more of stagflation. And again, that's kind of more of a currency negative type of environment. So I do think in this case that there's scope for additional hawkish repricing uh, to be perceived more negatively for currencies in the G10 space going forward, especially to the extent that banking stress, you know, can continue to, to lurk in the background. That's about it from us. Phoebe, thank you so much for joining. Thank you everybody for listening. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chasing Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on March 24th, 2023.